I feel a little bit like Lady Gaga at Wembley Stadium, or Roxy Music at Wembley Stadium. Uh, I'd like to talk to you today about forgetting, and I'd like you to cast your mind back and think of whether you can remember the name of the last person you met at a party and didn't want to go home with. Do you remember how much you paid for your last supermarket shop? Do you remember how much a loaf of bread costs in the shop down the road? I'm, best, I'm getting, guessing that a lot of you can't remember, and I can fully sympathize. I wrote an entire book series on forgetting. It wasn't my intention. I wanted to write Forgotten Women, the book series, as a way to excavate these stories and rediscover them and bring them to light. But over the course of writing four books, I've kind of come up with an idea of why certain groups and types of people get forgotten and how that happens. So with your permission, I'd like to kind of lay out my theories on how we forget people and why, and hopefully bring them to life with a couple of real-life examples from the books. So the first reason why people get forgotten is violent erasure, and I do mean quite literally violent. In Forgotten Women, the Leaders, I talk about a woman called Hepshatsut. She was an Egyptian pharaoh, and the operative word here is pharaoh. She wasn't a regent, which meant that she wasn't ruling the throne on behalf of some son who had yet to come to age. She was a ruler in her own right, one of the few female pharaohs in the world. And she was the great builder of Egypt. She built enormous obelisks, 28.5 meters tall. That's seven elephants stacked on top of each other. I know because I Googled it before this talk. It was the tallest in the world at the time, and one of them is still standing. She built huge mortuary temples, which are now UNESCO World Heritage Sites. And you would think, with a kind of building record like that, her name would be in the history books, no problem. Well, there was actually a giant problem, and that was her son. Because when he came to power after Hatshepsut died, he spent years carving her name out from the historic record. And I mean literally carving it out. If you go to certain walls, you will see someone has literally taken a chisel to war and hammered out her name, or even worse, replaced it with the name of a man. She wasn't just erased by her son either. She was erased by 19th century Egyptologists when they re-found Hepshepsut's name. They thought to themselves, and they called her the Hepshepsut problem because they couldn't quite figure out how a woman could rule as pharaoh. They thought that you know, there was no way that a woman could come to power in Egypt that she must have had some sort of orchestra behind the throne, you know, the kind of conductor pulling her strings. And guess what? They thought it was a man. They thought that a male advisor had single-handedly orchestrated her rise to the throne and kept her there, regardless of the fact that in her own right, she was a powerful ruler who implemented these massive building works. She never wanted to be forgotten, but through literal eraser, she was. And then there's a second way that women can be forgotten, and that's how they're never given the full credit they deserve. I'm assuming some of you may have seen the Benedict Cumberbatch film, The Imitation Game. It's about Alan Turing, who famously broke war, war codes during World War II. Now, he operated out of a place called Bletchley Park, which you can still visit. What people don't realize about Bletchley Park is that there were 9,000 people working out of that place breaking German codes, and three quarters of them were women. In fact, a scholar said about Bletchley Park, and I quote him, it is the single greatest achievement of Britain during 1939 to 1945, perhaps the 20th century as a whole. 
women were an integral part of the Bletchley Park endeavor. In fact, there were two women, Margaret Rock and Mavis Lever, who were hired by their male superior, who said of them, give me a rock and a lever, and I can move the universe. They went on to crack an Italian Navy code that allowed the Royal Navy to sink five warships. But because they were operating under the Official Secrets Act, many of the Bletchleyites, as they were called, took their secrets to the grave. It was only in 2009 that the government awarded Bletchleyites with veterans' badges to say that they served in the war alongside the men. Unfortunately, as you can imagine, many of them were already dead. Writing this book series has been incredibly enlightening, not least because people come up to me and say that they've had personal connections with the book series. In fact, one of my friends came up to me and said, I actually knew a Bletchleyite, she was my grand-aunt, and she took the secret to her grave. She died without only, with only ever telling one person, her uncle, who then passed it on to the rest of the family. She never got that medal, and she never got the recognition she deserved. In many ways, she's only just one of the forgotten women of Bletchley Park. And then there are those women who are forgotten because they are rejected by everything we view off as the conventional gatekeepers of success. Do any of you know the name Hertha Ayrton? She was one of the first graduates of Girton College, which was in itself the first all-women's Cambridge College. She studied maths, and she was so smart that her nickname in the family was BG, beautiful genius. Her husband was a professor of electrical engineering who worked in arc lighting. And in case you don't know the term, arc lighting was what came after gas and oil street lamps in London, but it was also notoriously unreliable. So for instance, when you think of old Jack the Ripper films, women getting murdered through sputtering lights, that's arc lighting at work, and it was very, very bad. But it was the best that they could do. Hertha Ayrton thought she could do better. Her husband, when he worked on a project, accidentally set his notes on fire and then thought, I'm just going to give up now. But Hertha didn't. She decided to set about his project, and she solved the mystery of arc lighting. She redesigned the rods in lamps to stop them from flickering so much, and it was introduced across London. But when she came to applying to the Royal Society, for all intents and purposes, the institution that safeguards scientific success and achievement in Great Britain, she was denied, even though her invention had already been fully accepted and implemented. And the Royal Society's reasoning was pretty unusual, although, to be honest, quite common for the time. They said that married women were ineligible for membership of the Royal Society because under UK law, they were not regarded as persons in their own right, but rather the property of their husbands. That was in 1902, and the Royal Society only admitted its first women in 1945. I actually went and looked up Hertha Ayrton on the Royal Society website a couple of weeks ago just to see if they mentioned her in their history. And they actually wrote a blog about her, and they titled it Hertha Ayrton, an embarrassing episode in our history, which is, to be honest, downplaying it slightly. And then there are the women who are forgotten because the arc of history is long and has yet to bend in their favor. I'm thinking of women like Sylvia Rivera, who called herself, and I quote, a bitch on wheels. She was a Puerto Rican street hustler and a sex worker who campaigned for trans rights, one of the first people to throw a Molotov cocktail during the Stonewall riots. And she was, as you can imagine, a real handful. Even as the gay liberation movement steamrolled forward, acquiring rights for its communities, she felt that they had left behind the trans community. 
months before she died of liver cancer, she was still holding the gay community to account. A gay men's organization invited her to speak at a seminar. She spent the whole time haranguing them over how they should do better. And I'm gonna quote from her speech there because it's truly something. You have acquired your liberation, your freedom from that night. She's talking about Stonewall. Myself, I've got shit, just like I had back then. But I still struggle, I still continue the struggle, and I will struggle till the day I die. And my main struggle right now is that my community will seek the rights that are justly ours. When you look around you today at the overwhelming levels of violence and prejudice against trans people, not just in the US, but in the UK, where one in eight people have been attacked at work because they're trans, it's simply easy to see that Sylvia Riviero is forgotten because we haven't caught up with her yet. But, you know, I feel like writing this book series, people ask me, do you get depressed over how many women have been forgotten? Because the number of women that I could have filled these pages with was infinite. We had to cap it at 48. I don't think it's particularly pessimistic, and I don't think women are doomed to be forgotten. Because women have found ways to insert themselves into history against the odds, against all social conventions throughout history. I'm thinking of the painter Clara Peters, 16th century from Belgium. She painted these incredible still lifes, which you can still see exhibited in museums today. If you're talking about food porn, Clara made these things real. If you go up to a painting, you can see the bread, you can feel the crunch of it in your mouth, you can smell the fish scales that she's painted, and if you look very, very closely at certain objects in her painting, she painted these amazing gold goblets and chains and plates. You can see in the reflective surfaces a little Clara. She painted her self-portrait into the reflective surfaces of, all of, of almost all of her paintings. She didn't just sign it, she made doubly sure that you knew who was the one holding the paintbrush. Today, only 40 paintings of hers and her survive, and we know actually very, very little of her life. But because she painted herself into these canvases, we can know one thing, that she had a desire to be seen, that she had a desire and a wish not to be forgotten. So is this book series depressing? Is it a monument of loss of all the lives that we don't know about? I don't think so. I think, yes, I am angry that some of these lives aren't better known. I think, yes, I'm angry that we don't learn about people like Hertha Ayrton and Sylvia Riviera in schools. But I think we're all part of the process of remembering because there's a reason why we call it muscle memory. And that's because remembering requires active effort. So the next time you see a woman being erased, and let me tell you, it happens a lot in business meetings, speak up for her. Let her say what she wants to say. Celebrate her. Advocate for her right to talk. My publishers will probably hate me saying this, but I would like my book series to eventually be completely defunct and for nobody to buy it because the idea of forgetting women will be seem so outrageous and so ludicrous that people will wonder why we were like this ever at all. And it's in the process of remembering not forgetting that I hope you'll be a part of this series too. Here's to no more forgotten women.